This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? It's going okay. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Yeah, it's um, it's a Monday, but it somehow feels like both a Sunday and a Tuesday. Yep. Um. Yeah, and we have more storms moving in here, so that's fun. Yeah, we've had them on and off all day today, mm-hmm. which means our active little puppy hasn't been able to go outside, so Aww. he's been a terror today. Oh, but he's so cute. Um, yeah, last night we actually had a tornado. Well, go big and go home, I guess. Yeah, that was fun. Did so, you... what about you? What's going on in your life? <laughs> um, well, as our patrons know over at Patreon, um, a company lost my couch in the mail. <laughs> so, that's they been... They do not have just what you need. <laughs> <laughs> that's been fun to deal with. Um, yeah, just in general, shipping and I haven't been getting along. Um... Did you find your yearbooks yet? Nope. <laughs> and uh, I did just buy a whole bunch of art supplies. So I hope that those uh, ship here to my house in the house where I live, not the house where everything seems to be going that is not my house. <laughs> and it's not my old house because we still own that one too. So like I could go and look at a couch if it got delivered there on accident. Yeah. <laughs> You are suffering greatly. And I was feeling much better until we sat down and now I itch all over. So please excuse me. Yeah. I guess at the top, my warning is I broke out in a horrible and painful rash. So I've already popped some Benadryl and Aaron's not far behind me. And I'd like to point out that we live a state and a half away from each other. A state and a half. Well, in other state measurements, Texas doesn't count because it is four states. I mean... In other state measurements, we live, like, five states away from each other. That's true. If we're in Europe, we live, like, four countries away from each other. It's true. <laughs> we're already going so far off the rails. <laughs> yeah, so, like, last week was really stressful, and I think that's all this is, is, like, stress. I I do that, but um, it sucks, and it's very itchy, and I want to take a Benadryl and go to sleep. Um but this week, hopefully, is going to be a good week. We'll see what happens. I may have a fun announcement next week. Ooh. Aaron's oh, getting married. <laughs> to all of the men from 98 Degrees at the same time. in six months that's not nice (laughs) (laughs) oh god but that was really funny you're welcome (laughs) you already know the thing that's happening but i'm gonna wait okay until later yeah okay oh okay in fact i keep waiting for this thing to happen like i have been like you've been asking me about the thing that's happening yes (laughs) that is could not be further away from me getting married. 
which is so fucking hysterical. I think I might fall out of my chair again. You're welcome. Always, Aww. always glad I'm to entertain. Die alone. <laughs> you won't die alone. I will buy you 36 cats. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Everything you own will smell and you won't even notice because that's what happens when you have 36 cats. Yeah, I, I don't want 36 cats. Your clothes your clothes will stop being cotton and will in fact be made of just cat hair. Just layers of cat hair. And that's more itchy than I already am. You're welcome. Hey, speaking of layers of cat hair, this is Lifetime Sentence and I'm Paul. What a segue. That was a... <laughs> Very interesting segue, my friend. I'm Aaron and I'm single. <laughs> oh man, if only you had caught me right after I had taken a drink, you would have gotten your your long awaited force fit take. Yes. That would have been it. That is my goal. I don't think anybody realizes just how hard I work for the spit take. And you would have you would have gotten it tonight, but you you your timing was off. Like growing up. It was like the feather in my cap every time I could make my mom spit while like laughing. Um, And it happened a lot. In fact, the other day I posted a very irate video on Facebook. It was the Snapchat that I sent y'all about my couch being lost. But of course I used that filter that gives me a baby voice. Yes, because I couldn't stop laughing at it because it took away your nose too. You didn't have a nose. I know. Um, and so, um, my mom watched that video and called me to tell me that she had to clean up the kitchen because she had a spit take. And I was like, man, I didn't even get to watch it. And I still feel as fulfilled. That's so funny. Well, you didn't get a stick take spit take tonight, but I did wash and dry my hair for you. You're welcome. Man, I feel like royalty. I'm royalty. You're royalty adjacent. Um, (laughs) sure. Jane. Uh, this week. Oh, honey. Um, (laughs) This week I watched Death of a Cheerleader, which came out in 1994 and is a 90s slash early 2000s smorgasbord of amazingness. Yes. I'm pumped. Let me go see what this emergency is. Oh, boy. Okay, so what I was asking before we were so rudely interrupted by my guard dog protecting me against my wife. um, She's scary. (laughs) Right? She's terrifying. Um, Do you know what the other name of this movie was? Oh, they had it this morning because it was under the wrong name on my Roku, and I can't remember it now. It's like a friend to die for or a friend to kill for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend to die for, I think. It stars Tori Spelling. Of course it does. And who cares what her name was in the movie? We're just going to call her Tori because if you've been breathing any time in the last 20 years, you know who she is. Never heard of her. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I've been watching Drag Race. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it's the very first season she and her husband came on because... um, it was like back in 07 when their their little reality show was pretty oh, right. like, well known. And they had like the contestants interviewing them. And one of the contestants was from like Puerto Rico, had a really thick accent. And so her husband, whatever his name is, said something about like, I don't know. I, 
he said something and she goes, you have HIV? <laughs> what? <laughs> it was great. Um, anyways, uh, Kelly Martin, she plays Angela. She uh, also played Lucy in ER. She was in the movie The Face on the Milk Carton, which I think is like oh, a staple yeah. Saturday morning special movie. Yeah. PSA. I think we've all seen it. Yeah. I feel like we need to cover it. Yes. Um, and she plays Haley Dean in the Haley Dean Mysteries on Hallmark. I love the Haley Dean Mysteries. We have them all saved. Um, Marley Shelton. She plays Jamie. Um, she was in Planet Terror, Never Been Kissed, Bubble Boy, Uptown Girls, like all those movies from like the early 2000s. Yeah. Who is she in Uptown Girls? You don't have to actually look it up. I just didn't know if you I knew. Don't, I don't. Okay. I don't. Terry O'Quinn, who plays Mr. Sachs. He's the principal. And I was just like, who is that guy the whole time? He's the guy from Lost. Like the old bald guy. Huh. Okay. It's him when he was like really young. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Valerie Harper plays Mrs. Del Vecchio. You will know her from the Mary Tyler Moore show and her spinoff, Rhoda. Yeah. Um, she died just recently. Mm-hmm, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I was really upset. So I've been watching my way through the Mary Tyler Moore show, which was so far I- ahead of its time. Oh, totally. I God. loved it. All the like women's empowerment themes like that were so important that are so important today that are still being missed Mm -hmm. but like for that time period it was a trailblazing show god i mean that was the first one and then in the 80s you get like designing women and uh the og murphy brown show Uh yeah there's a lot of really good shows out there. Um, and then finally, Margaret Langrick. She plays Jill. She was in Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, I watched that. Mm-hmm. She was the daughter. Um, My it's... American Cousin and the OG 21 Jump Street. Oh, nice. So mm-hmm. my eighth grade science teacher, shout out mm-hmm. to Miss Loper, one of my like most influential teachers, Um. One of the things that she really taught us was to always question and to want to keep learning. So she did a whole cryptids unit in the eighth grade. And so we watched Harry and the Hendersons to wrap it up after we studied like Bigfoot and like how scientific inquiry works in the understanding of like developing new creatures or like understanding newly found species. It Mm -hmm. was such a good unit that I remember it to this day. I loved Harry and the Hendersons. It's such a good movie. It's like a sleeper. I feel like it didn't get enough attention. Oh, yeah. But it's got like a cult following. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, And then we'll have a few extra surprise cast members that we'll get to. Paula Abdul. No. (laughs) That's always her hope it is. We open with ducks on a lake, which when I picture cheerleaders, that's what I go to. Yeah. Nothing says cheerleading like ducks on a lake. Yeah. Um, people are running through an idyllic neighborhood. Children ride their bikes in a church parking lot. Um, we go to nighttime in the same parking lot and a car pulls in. Inside a different house down the street, some adult couples are having dinner when the doorbell rings. Ding dong. It's, it's Tori Spelling. No. She says she was waiting on some friends in the church parking lot, and the girl she was with got a little weird. So she's wondering if maybe um, she could use their phone. 
And I'm like, oh, the night, like what a, what a different time. Right. <laughs> because now nobody would answer their door. Right. Uh, you didn't text <laughs> first. Yeah. Um, nobody answers the phone. So the man of the house offers to drive her home. And I'm like, what is this place that they live? Freaking, where does Leave It to Beaver live? Perfectville. Mayberry. That's not where Beaver is. That's Andy Griffith. That's Andy Griffith. I don't know. There's no way to know. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They back out of the driveway and Tori's friend follows them. Tori talks about cheerleading camp and starting junior year and how excited she is. The man drives her home and Tori thanks him for the ride and gets out. Um, the man's like, Hey, um, you know, I'll make sure you get in. And she's like, well, my parents aren't home. So I'm going to go to the house next door. So he's like, okay, I'll just wait for you to go inside. So, um, the man watches in his rear view mirror and he sees Tori get into a fight with someone. There is screaming. And then you see someone kind of run away in the shadows. Tori stumbles up the walkway of the neighbors screaming, help. Help me! I've been stabbed! I hope it was, per- like, delivered just like that. It was. Perfect. Um, the neighbor dramatically catches her and asks... Her name is Stacy in the movie. He's like, oh my god, Stacy, who did this to you? Yeah, that's my uh, but, first question, not somebody call 911. Like, But Stacy can't answer because her eyes roll back into her head and she passes out. Classic uh, Stacy. Her family comes home just as she's being put into the ambulance and they're like, oh my God, Stacy. And then the ambulance zooms away. Can you imagine how traumatizing that would be though? Like you just come home from a nice dinner and your kids being loaded into an ambulance. Uh, Yeah, I can imagine. Um, But they go into the hospital, but Tori Spelling, AKA Stacy dies. Poor Stacy's mom. She does not have it going on. <laughs> um, and then we flash back to 10 months earlier. Everyone's at a pep rally watching the cheerleaders. And then they sing the school fight song. The principal jokingly talks about how people call him X-Lax instead of Mr. Sax. Um, no, that's canceled. Then he talks about excellence and how that distinguishes them from their rivals. He says today is the first day of the rest of their lives, which we just Whoa, we just about. covered that in Patreon this week. And it's high school, so just no. It is high school is not the first day of the rest of your life, children. I promise. That is a lecture that I gave my high schoolers every, because, you know, I taught high school for seven years before I went down to just middle school. And every year it came to a point where I'd be like, okay, guys, now some sad person is going to tell you that high school is the best time of your life. It had better not be. (laughs) I tell my girls that, my college girls, college is not the best time of your life. I promise. You'll look back at all these boys and be like, they're stupid. I can't believe I wasted so much time on them. Now, I don't know what the best time of your life is. I'm still waiting to figure that out. But it's not high school so far or college. Actually, for me, it was right after college. Like those first three or four years that Sarah and I were married and we had very few obligations. And we lived in a trailer house with very few bills. And, you know, Mm -hmm. life was uncomplicated. I think that's it. 
I didn't get that because I had a kid. So I'm thinking it's going to be that time after he graduates and I don't have any like major responsibilities and my car will be paid off and I can kind of go do what I want. Yeah. We'll see. Then you can come move here and you can be my neighbor and we can record like in person together and then your son will just have to come visit us here. Your neighborhood's a little too fancy for me. Well, there's one across the street that doesn't have sidewalks, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Angela is watching from the crowd when she and her friend go to leave. Oh, I'm sorry. So the, the principal before this, Mr. Sachs, leads them into a chant. The whole school about how they're going to be the best. Perfect. So Angela's watching from the crowd. When she and her friend go to leave, she tells her friend, I am going to be the best. And her friend is like, no, you're not. <laughs> Can you imagine getting your words of affirmation from a high school pep rally? God. <laughs> yeah, I did get my words of affirmation from my high school pep rally for four years. And a fat lot of good it did me. Um, but Angela wants to edit the yearbook and be a cheerleader and be a lark, which I guess is a cool kid. I don't know. Um, at lunch, one of the cool girls invites Angela over to sit with the cool kids. Ooh. Uh, Tori's making fun of teachers and stuff, and then a goth girl walks by, and they all call her weird and make fun of her. And goth girl calls Tori a bitch. After school, Angela runs up to her friend to say she got a job in the attendance office with Tori. Her friend is super unimpressed. But she's also wearing a hat with a flower on it, so I don't exactly trust her either. Leave Blossom alone. Actually, her name is Jill, and Jill's mom drives her home, and Angela promises Jill it's going to be a great year. Angela walks up to her house, and her dad is trying to fix the car. Her mom is praying at a desk with a timer, which is really dedicated, and will come back in the end to bite us all in the ass. Great. Um, her older sister is visiting and Angela asks her what it's like to be all grown up and out on her own. And her older sister is like, yeah, it totally sucks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Angela says it won't suck for her because she's going to be a writer like Danielle Seal and she's going to live in the nice neighborhood right by the water. Um, and her sister's like, okay, like good for you. And she's like, I guess she doesn't have enough enthusiasm because Angela's like, I am the best writer at my school. And Mr. Sachs says, you can do anything you set your mind to. And that's what I'm going to do. So just get off my back, okay? Oh. At the attendance office, Tori tries to get Angela to write an excuse for court who skips school and needs one. Um, Mr. Sachs comes in and calls Tori the prettiest office assistant, which has to violate like 11 kind of rules. Yeah, yeah that's not okay. Mm. Another girl comes in and starts talking about an overnight ski trip that everyone is going to go on. Angela asks her mom on their way to church and she says that they'll discuss it later, which in my house means no. Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> we'll see they means hard no. And we'll discuss mm -hmm. it later means absolutely not. Yeah. They go to a boring sermon, after which her mom says she can go on the trip. So, yay, God. Um, so, Angela starts babysitting, washing cars, etc., so she can afford to go on the trip. Which, first of all, $75 for a ski trip? I need to go to school there. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> also, didn't this happen in Texas, like the real story? No. Okay, I thought it did. So I was like, where the fuck are they going to No, <laughs> you're mixing up. There is a Texas cheerleader story, but this is not it. That's right. Okay, so they go on the trip, and Tori steals Goth Girl's journal and reads it to everyone. Angela tries to stop her, but Tori doesn't. Goth Girl storms out of the bathroom, and they get into a fight, and Angela holds back Goth Girl, so now nobody likes Angela anymore. Um, The next day, her other friend Jamie tells her to just stay out of Tori's way, and Tori will forget about it all. Back at school, Mr. Sachs is announcing cheerleading tryouts. Angela's family has the priest over for dinner, and Angela's friend Jamie is there, too. They talk about cheerleading tryouts and joining the Larks, which I guess is an actual club. And um, then we see that Angela does get into the Larks. They get anointed with mayonnaise in their hair and then drive around in a convertible, kissing random strangers on the cheek. I'm sorry. They get anointed with what? Mayonnaise. Um, I'm... I don't know a whole lot about hair care as obvious by the hair I've got going on my head right now. Thanks quarantine. But, um, I don't think that's how you take good care of it. Actually, you can do a great mask with mayonnaise in your can hair. You? See, I For told you, I don't know much. I thought you used it to get like gum out of your hair. No, that's peanut butter. Oh, um, The old guy they choose for Angela, though, just rolls up his window. So later, she tells her sister all about how she just wants to be Tori because Tori's good at everything, everything. And Tori doesn't even like her. And her sister's like, "Uh, you're just who you are and you have to accept what God gave you. But Angela's like, no, I can't and I won't. And so her sister's like, good talk and leaves. It's poetry day in English class. Everyone makes fun of Angela's poem because it's good. Um, Court tells a lovely poem about a beaver that gets him sent to the principal's office. Oh, great. Oh, is it that children's book? Barbara's beaver needs a barber or whatever. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, but it's close. Um, So, Tori's poem is about Goth Girl, and after she reads it, Goth Girl threatens to kill Tori. Well, that's a very large reaction, but this is high school where large reactions are the norm. At cheerleader tryouts, Angela's just okay, but Tori is, like, super good, of course. Um, Angela doesn't make the yearbook staff, and then it's the final assembly of the year, because they've been in school for, like, ten whole minutes. I'd say this school year went fast. Mm. Uh, no, sir. They announced the new cheerleaders, and of course, it's Tori and all of her friends, but not Angela. The sound in this movie is so bad. Like, whenever somebody claps, it sounds like a plane taking off slash landing. Yes! <laughs> um, Angela locks herself in a bathroom stall and cries. Um, her sister picks her up on her long, sad walk home. Uh, she gets in and tells her her life is over, blah, blah, blah. Um, Angela and Jill have a sleepover and get super drunk together, which is fun. Um, Jill invites Angela to a party and Angela immediately goes off the deep end about how she's going to invite Tori and make her be friends with her. She's like, I'll invite Tori to this party and then Tori will totally want to be my friend. 
I would like to say that you can't force people to be your friends, but if I'm being honest, all of my friendships are me forcing people because I'm such a large personality that at first nobody wants to give me a chance, which I get because I am overwhelming. So I just have to force people to be my friends. It's Stockholm Syndrome is what I'm telling you. Oh, okay. I didn't know I had that. Okay. Yep. Um, so Angela runs out in the middle of the night to a payphone to invite Tori to a surprise dinner for the Larks. Um, Tori's at cheerleading camp, so her mom's like, oh, I'll totally tell her um, this is all fine, I'm sure. Like, I'm so confused. Um, so to kind of put a little bit of clarity there in case I don't hit it in my notes. Um, so they were part of a secret, a quote, secret society. Um, anyone who's familiar with Gilmore girls will know there's the puffs. It's this like long running secret society. And, um, they were known for doing things like picking the girls up in the middle of the night in their pajamas and taking them out to like a 24 hour diner to eat pancakes. But there's the humiliation aspect of they're in their pajamas. And then sometimes there are just surprise dinners. So that's a thing that actually happens. And the parents of this prestigious high school knew that that was a thing that happened. Okay. So Angela's mom is taking her to a babysitting job. She asked her mom to leave the car, even though she only has a learner's permit, because she'll just feel so much safer if there's a car in the driveway. And mom, it's only five blocks, please. Mom says, against my better judgment, I'm going to do this, which famous last words. Right. Um, Turns out Angela doesn't have a babysitting job. Scandalous. So she drives to Tori's house to pick her up. Tori knows there's no dinner because she asked around, but Angela promises that this party is going to be super fun, so she agrees to go with her. Tori remarks about the knife and vegetables in the front seat and tells her to park at the church so she can fortify herself a little before they go to the party. So Tori lights a joint, and Angela's like, what are you doing? And Tori turns on and she goes, does your brain die or something? Perfect. Perfect <laughs> response. So they talk more and Tori decides she doesn't want to go to the party after all and tells Angela to take her home. And Angela yells, I don't understand. I just want to be your friend. I admire you. You're so pretty and funny and confident. And I just want to be like you. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> So Tori's like, I am leaving. You are even weirder than I thought. So she walks off and Angela follows and then follows her home, like through the beginning part, remember, where she right, goes right. and knocks on the door, right? She follows her home while she imagines in her head what Tori's going to tell everyone at school about it and how everyone's going to make fun of her. So when Tori goes to walk next door, she picks up the knife and follows her. Tori knocks on the door and Angela walks up and says, I would have driven you home. And Tori yells, you are so weird. Just go away. So naturally, Angela has no choice but to stab her. Oh, right. Yeah. Because what else? I mean, what would you have done? Also, this neighbor must have taken forever to answer the door. He's on the seventh floor of his mansion. <laughs> um, so... Oh, so Angela drives home, does a horrible job of washing the knife, and then stares at herself in the mirror, like you do. Um, the next morning, her mom grabs her out of the shower to hear the news about the murder. Everyone speculates on who it could be. 
Angela comments about how the description on the news sounds kind of like her. And Jill's like, don't be crazy. No one would ever suspect you. You're the nicest girls at Santa Mira. Um, have I got news for you? They have Tori's funeral and Angela gets called in to be questioned because of the strange phone call that supposedly came from a lark. And so since she's a lark, she gets called in. Um, she says she didn't know Tori very well. She kept her own friends and she has no idea why anyone would want to kill her because she was just so popular. Angela suggests that maybe someone took a joke that Tori made the wrong way or something. And the detective is like, okay, thanks for coming in. Um, they ask her to take a polygraph, which she either passes or fails. I don't know. Like he shakes his head and they don't come back to it for a long, long time. So. Oh, great. Um, um, now it's two months later and there are no new leads and Tori's family has broken their silence since school is about to start and they believe since Tori was so popular and athletic and quote unquote establishment if maybe her killer was someone who was anti-establishment perfect oh the 90s um do you have any students who wear a stick it to the man shirt every day Mm. They plead with her killer to quote unquote come forth, not come forward. Come forth. Come forth and march with us as we lead a revolution. I was like, are we in church? What's happening? Um, Angela freaks out and calls Jill, but Jill doesn't answer. She she keeps her secret. Mr. Sachs gives a speech on the first day of school about how he believes the killer is not someone at the school. Meanwhile, everyone throws things at Goff Girl. Then after school, the popular girls chase her out of the school. Um, Jamie makes a motion for the Larks to disband, and Angela stands up and gives an impassioned speech about how the Larks were so important to Tori that they just can't disband. So she gets nominated to be secretary-treasurer instead, which is not a thing. Yes, it is. Secretary-treasurer. Yeah. All one word. Secretary Treasurer. Lots of organizations have Secretary Treasurer. Not any that I've been in. Uh, Um, My 4-H chapter growing up had a Secretary Treasurer. I rest my case. (laughs) Well, I'm so sorry that you didn't learn how to take care of animals like I did. Because it's a marketable skill. I use it every day while I teach English. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um... Darren, the football player, comes into the attendance office because he's late to school and he wants to invite Angela to a party on Friday night. She says yes, and then he's like, oh, I just remembered. I don't have first period class, so I guess I don't need an excuse after all, and he leaves. Aw, true like, love. Oh. Smooth, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Angela volunteers as a peer counselor and a candy striper because she feels guilty, but that none of that goes well for her. Um, she can't even concentrate at church, so she goes to confession. So the girls in gym class are gossiping about how the FBI is going to interview all the larks again and how everyone knows it was goth girl who has since dropped out of school because they tortured her so. Poor thing. Angela and Jamie stop by goth girl's locker, and Jamie tells Angela that goth girl had an absolute solid alibi and there's no way that she could have done it, but nobody would leave her alone just because she was different. Jamie tells Angela she never even really liked Tori. She was just afraid of her. And maybe the killer was someone just like her. 
Angela goes in to be questioned again, and as it turns out, if you lie about having a babysitting job, the FBI can figure it out. No. She also failed the polygraph, but the FBI agent is Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince, so I can't take any of this seriously. No way. So now Angela says she lied about the babysitting job because she wanted to go see a um, a movie in um, uh, um, Sierra uh, Linda, which was um, rated R, but then they asked for her ID, so she, like, um, didn't um, get to see it anyway. So um, Uncle Phil's like, well, that clears things right up, but can you help us by answering some more questions about Tori? Um, Angela says everyone liked Tori, but... Uncle Phil says, not everyone. Someone disliked her enough to kill her. In fact, we worked up what we folks in the biz call a profile. Would you like to hear it? She says, sure. And he flips through pages and he's like, mm, psychiatrist, so wordy, am I right? Um, so basically he describes Angela to a T, a peripheral member of the friend group, organized, impulsive, but a... Angela says she thinks the profile sounds a lot like her, and Uncle Phil says he agrees. And they've actually been talking, thinking a lot about how it sounds a lot like her. And then he tells her to go home, think about it over the weekend, and they'll talk more. As soon as she leaves, the other cop is like, it's totally her. (laughs) Like, is this the first time he's realized it? Like, hey, okay. No, he's like, it's totally her. And he's like... Uncle Phil's like, yeah, you have to calm the fuck down, though, because unless she confesses, we have absolutely nothing. So so Angela goes home and hides in the back of a car and listens to her parents talk about how they're worried about her. And maybe they think that she's ashamed of them. And that's why she never brings any of her friends home to meet them. The family decorates the Christmas tree and then they pray and pick names for gifts. They have a lovely holiday celebration, but Angela is just feeling guilty. After everyone leaves, Angela tries to confess to her father, but she just tells him that she loves him instead. She tries to talk to her mom, but her mom falls asleep before they can talk, so she writes her a letter and hands it to her the next morning before running off to school. Dear Mom, I hope you still love me, but I killed someone. XOXO, Gossip Girl. This mom is a literal saint and light years more patient than I am because I would have read it immediately. Right. Instead, she finishes breakfast, does the dishes, does her prayers with the timer while I scream. Oh, my God. Open the notes. (laughs) Angela gets to school just as the timer goes off and she finally opens it. Um, Angela confesses to the murder and says she would kill herself, but maybe... That would be more painful for her parents. She's spoken to a priest, but she still can't stand the guilt, so she needs to turn herself in. She asks her mom to come with her and to please forgive her because she needs her. She asks her mom to please still love her. And I'm like, why do I feel sorry for her? Right. But I do. Um, The mom screams, Joe! And when he doesn't answer, that's her husband. She's like, Joseph! (laughs) Well, naturally. Mm. Angela cries outside the school and her mother picks her up and they hug. At cheerleading practice, they hear there was an arrest and they hear it was Angela. 
the popular girls all start talking about how they always knew she was weird and her friend Jill stands up for her and then runs off crying. One of the popular girls looks like Monica Lewinsky and I'm super distracted until I realize that it's Libby from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I love her. Did you know she's a Broadway actress? Mm-hmm. She's wonderful. She was um, in Wicked when I went to go see it. She really does kind of look like Monica Lewinsky, though. She does. I can see that. <laughs> Jamie goes to church and the priest talks about values, etc., and how Angela must have felt the pressure to be the best and own the best and be the finest and judged herself as a failure. And maybe this is the parents' expectations are being agonized over by the children in school. And then maybe they should all think about that. Jamie goes to confession and cries about how she left Angela alone at the ski lodge that day, even though they were best friends just to go hang out with Tori. The priest tells Jamie to forgive herself and then to find the courage to be Angela's friend now when everyone else is against her. And I was like, well, now this story is just fucking sad. Right? Mr. Sachs gets on TV and talks about how there's no problem with materialism at the school. Angela is just a very sick child. Um... And then he drives Jamie? off in like a Porsche. Right. Well, then he's like, hey, pretty lady to someone like walking by. <laughs> um, Jamie and Jill both go to the trial along with her family. Um, I wrote blah, blah, trial stuff, premeditation versus a crime of passion. Um, so basically they're in this trial. They're fighting over whether to charge her with first degree or second degree murder or convict her of first degree or second degree murder because she's already confessed and pled guilty. Right. So, um, sorry, it's starting to storm. Um, even though the punishment is the same for both crimes, they're still like fighting out in court, which one to charge her with. Okay. Um, so Jill and Jamie finally make up because Jill was the one that was, um, Angela's friend all along and Jamie was the one that was popular for a while. Right. Okay. Okay. So they make up. Um, they play Angela's confession in court and everyone listens and cries. Her mom falls to her knees praying in the middle of it. And it's so horrible. There's closing arguments where they talk about, um, the difference between the charges, the judge finds second degree murder, and then admonishes the prosecution for putting this trial on strictly for quote unquote entertainment purposes. Um, and now we get the beginning scene again, except now the jogger is wearing different clothes. Jamie's sitting outside the church writing a letter to Angela about how she quit the Larks and she's going to quit Santa Mira next year to go back to St. Joe's, where she and Angela were friends before they all went to Santa Mira and everything went crazy. Um, she's going to be trying to move forward and she hopes Angela will move forward again and they can like, you know, just move on. And the ending quote says the real Angela Del Vecchio served a sentence of seven years and was released on parole. The end. That's the shortest Chiron ever. Yep. All right. Well, that was. Everybody pray that my lights don't go out while we're doing this. That sounds like a really good movie. Like it sounds like one I'll enjoy. It actually was really good. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. The sound quality is awesome awful just perfect the sound quality is terrible perfect so um at the top my it had really funny it had sorry it had really funny like ridiculous parts and then like the end was very serious and sad right interesting um so at the top my sources are um 
Wikipedia, of course, The Martyr of Kirsten Kostas. Oxygen's True Crime Buzz did an article about it. Uh, our good friends over at Bustle. Bustle's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Murderpedia, TV Crime Sky, and then um, ClickAmericana.com had an article by um, Carol Pogash. It's called The Real Death of a Cheerleader Story. Um, okay. And it... Um, was written, I think, like at the time that the actual crime happened. I okay. think it came out in 1985 because it is a wow. very, um, it's a very like current. She had interviewed like present students of the school and stuff. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like boots on the ground journalism. Interesting. All right. So, um, in June of 1984, a popular and pretty cheerleader, according to this article, Kirsten Costas was dead and sheriff's deputies were searching for the girl who stabbed her. Um, God forbid she was ugly, right? <laughs> right. The day after the murder, um, rumors had already begun um, down to like, so I meant to say this is, a, this is a quote from Carol Pogash. Cause she really sets the scene of like this uh, or Orinda, which is in Northern California. Um, this is like what Orinda was, de- was like, it says the day before the murder in June, 1984, rumors had already spread at the tennis courts down Oak shaded lanes and at poolside. Some claimed it was claimed it was an act of Satanism or a PCP induced killing. Oh my gosh. Hold on one second. Okay. Sorry. I just want to like light this candle just in case the lights go off. I understand. Okay. So, no one wanted to believe that the killer had come from Orinda, which um, is this very like beautiful kind of idyllic place. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of a rich uh, or an affluent suburb. Um, and uh, people in Orinda were really proud of its good schools and that it had low crime rates. Those were like the reasons that people moved to this town as it was, mm-hmm. you know, the super safe suburbia type area. Right. Um, so Orinda has a population or at the time had a population of about 17,000. Um, and it was 30 minutes from, or I guess it still is 30 minutes from downtown San Francisco. Um, Mm -hmm. if you take the, uh, the BART, the Bay area rapid transport transit, I mean, um, I love San Francisco. And then it says, Commuting time shrinks to 25 minutes in a BMW, the most popular car at Miramont High School, where students' scores are consistently among the highest on California State Achievement Tests. Okay. Ooh, it is lightning bad out there. I just watched it out your window. Yeah. Um, so the median income of the area was $60,000, and this was in 1985. Um, mm-hmm. And... The, um, the area, like the families in the area were not necessarily described as upwardly mobile. Like the, everybody Mm -hmm. there felt like they had arrived. Like Orinda was the dream place. Um, so, um, about 17 years before this murder, Arthur and Barrett Costas moved from Oakland to Orinda to find a safe community with good schools, um, they had two children, Kirsten and then her younger brother, Peter. 
Arthur mm-hmm. became an executive with the 3M Corporation. Okay. And uh, Barrett stayed home. She took care of the kids in the house. She was a homemaker in every sense of like 80s hardworking husband, homemaker, mom, perfect family, one boy, one girl, picket fence kind of life. Yes. Um, the family was active in the swim team and in the tennis club. Um, they were a quiet family, except that their 15-year-old daughter, Kirsten, was not. Her mother, <laughs> remi- uh, her mother remembered fondly, quote, Kirsten was the energy of the house. She was always listening to music, making phone calls, dancing. She was full of life. We are simple people. She was ready to go, ready to start to live her life when it was snuffed out. Um, so she uh, was described by her friends as cute, but not necessarily beautiful. She was that kind of all-American girl. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, she didn't have like the blonde hair that all the girls of this area did. Um, but she had olive skin and she had curly brown hair. Um, and so she just kind of rocked this look that was so different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just finished her sophomore year at Miramont and, um, she kind of had changed social circles. So back in junior high, she was hanging out with um, a very different group of people. But by the time Mm -hmm. her sophomore year rolled around, she was hanging with um, what was known as the loud crowd at their school. And that was like the it crowd. That was the Regina George group. I mean, there's no evidence that they were assholes, but they were the ones that everyone was She was hanging with Mr. Cooper? Exactly. Um, so in the spring of 1984, Kirsten had been asked to join the Bobo links or the Bobbies, which was this elite sorority like organization. Um, it had about 30 to 35 of the best looking and most popular girls in school. Making me feel bad. <laughs> um, so it help if I'm like really, really popular. Right. So in addition to joining the Bobbies, uh, Kirsten was a member of the varsity swim team um, and she was working hard to become a cheerleader. She practiced all the time. It's not like something that came very easy for her. Um, She would practice in front of windows at night to see her reflection because they didn't have any mirrors big enough for her to see um, and like checked her form all the time and she worked hard at it. Um, I used to practice, like, I would go in the, in the mall, like, when we would go shopping, like, in on weeknights, like, when it was quiet, like, we'd go eat dinner, go shopping, like, me and my family, uh-huh. and I would, like, practice in the big spaces, like, in the mall. Yeah. Oh, Sarah still does leaps across big areas. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that part dies, like. No, that, that habit, old habits die hard. Mm-hmm. Um. So at this school, cheerleading was taken very, taken very seriously. Um, this article said that before trying out, applicants had to write essays explaining what they could add to the school, like uh, to the community of the school. Um, and that even before they try out, parents have to sign the agreement to spend $500 to pay for their 
uniforms and, and cheerleading camp. And that was mm-hmm. a 1985 $500, which, as you know, in today's money is $560. (laughs) I don't know. Probably more than that. I'm trying to think of what it cost when I was in school, like for dance team stuff. I don't remember. It was a lot. The middle school that I teach at cheer costs $500. So the high school probably cost a thousand. I have a friend who's her, her daughter is does club. And like, that is a whole other, that's a second income. Like Mm -hmm. that's a house payment. Um, yeah so, it's really expensive but they're so good like she wants to go to that no she wants to go to navarro so right um so just to like set the scene for the cheerleader tryouts here the um the cheer hopefuls were judged by 20 judges wow right like three seems like enough for me but what do i know maybe five like we had like four, I think. I was like not an odd that, number. It's easy to come to a consensus with an odd number because you can like yeah. split the middle and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, and then they have to line up and um, they do this big like ceremony where the outgoing cheerleaders pull a name from the envelope and um, then they're like, and the next one is... Aaron, and then they bring them flowers and a kiss on the cheek and so like you're kind of publicly humiliated if you didn't make it mm-hmm. which is a lot different than like having a number and then just the numbers that made it being posted like yeah then you can luckily kind of... i made it so right i mean you just every my year name, right so. duh you're the new captain <laughs> it's like in john tucker must die whatever Britney Snow joins the cheer team and oh, she's I like, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking, bring it on. Yes. I love and that. I'm big red. <laughs> no, I was just thinking of when they're doing the pyramid and they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, she should be on top. And the girl on the bottom was like, sure. I've only been on this team four years, but you've earned it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sexy. I'm cute. I'm popular to boot. I'm oh, sorry. It's okay. I'm bitching. Great hair. The boys, boys all love, love to, to stare. stare. Uh, <laughs> man. I'm wanted. I'm hot. I'm everything you're not. Okay. Sorry. I'll stop now. Hate us because we're beautiful. Well, we don't like you either. We don't like you either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're done. Um, anyway. Um, so Kirsten went to tryouts and one of the judges even commented that she was a perfect cheerleader. Her form was great. She had the spirit. She had the look. She had everything that would represent this school for whatever they were looking for. I don't know. I'm not a cheer person. School spirit? I, we, I think that's let's hear it. Um, so Kirsten, um, that summer goes to cheerleading camp, which um, involved them living in a dorm at St. Mary's College. Um, and Barrett receives, the mom receives a phone call on Thursday, June 21st, 1984. The caller mm-hmm. identifies herself as a Bobby and tells Barrett that she knows that Kirsten's away until the weekend, but she asked if she'd be able to attend an initiation dinner for the Bobbies that Saturday night. So, mm-hmm. like I said, this was like a thing that parents knew about and that stuff happened like this. So she didn't think anything of it. So 
Barrett gives permission and the caller replies that someone would pick Kirsten up by car and that no one else should know of the plans. That's not suspicious at all. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Um, so that Saturday evening, Kirsten's parents and brother go to a potluck dinner for like Peter's little league team. And, Aww. um, a car honks outside for around eight thirty. So Kirsten left and like even left the TV on, um, just like it was a normal night, you know? And, um, she walks out to, well, I'm sure she wasn't like going out like, Oh, I'm going to get murdered tonight. Right. Um, Better turn the TV off. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing that would, should, not should, because that sounds victim blaming and it's definitely not her fault. Here's the thing that ought to give anybody pause. She had to get into a mustard colored pinto. And what I really, Ew. yeah, exactly. What I really want to know is why was that a thing that was made? You'll have to call the Ford company. So um, a little over an hour later, Kirsten rings the doorbell at a stranger's house. Um, Alexander and Mary Jane Arnold, who live in Morago, which is the town where she was at cheer camp. Um, Mar-a-Lago? Moraga. I'm just joking. Well, I didn't know if, listen, that Benadryl is hitting me hard and I'm real drowsy. And I was like, I don't know you if didn't I'm even, speaking words. You didn't even get my jokes. So that's how. Yeah. Um, Hopefully everyone else got it. I oh, hope well. so. Oh, here, let me give you a courtesy laugh. <laughs> that was terrifying. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, anyway, so Alexander and Mary Jane were playing cribbage with their neighbors, which probably explains why it took so long to get out. It also sounds like Quidditch. Right. <laughs> and, um, and now I'm just imagining like four grown ass adults running around their house with brooms between their legs. Yes. <laughs> um. So when they open the door, they see Kirsten, and then behind her, um, who another girl who looked about 15 years old was quote lurking out the path. So Kirsten is tense, but she's not terrified, and she says, "Quote: My friend got weird on me." So she asks if she can call home, and when no one answers the phone, Alexander Arnold offers to drive her back to a neighbor's house in Orinda. As they drove, Kirsten seemed unconcerned when Arnold mentioned that he saw back that he looked back and that mustard-colored pinto was still following them. Um, so the um Kirsten knowing that her parents weren't home asked to go to this neighbor's house, and when the car pulls up, Kirsten like um the man Arnold, Arthur Arnold, asked if she was going to be okay, or Alexander Arnold, I mean, asked if she was going to be okay, and she's like, yeah, I'm fine, you know, I've known these people forever. Um, and the, so then she got out. So in the meantime, the girl driving the Pinto quickly parks and slides out of her car, and as Kirsten walked away from Arnold's car, the other girl comes out from behind this tall ledge with her arms, like with her arm raised, and she runs forward like scream style. Cool. So in this article, it said that Arnold saw a flash from a metal blade. But um, in other things that I read, it said he thought that he was witnessing a fist fight. And so he wasn't like super quick to intervene, which kids fight, I guess. Either way, it's like two 15 year old girls like get out of your car and break it up. Right. 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 I don't know. 
So um, it was the nineties. There's no way to know, or the eighties. So she holds this blade up in the air that's one and a half feet long. So like a, a machete. Yeah. <laughs> um. Which is why I don't know that I follow the like fist fight idea because like surely you can tell a foot and a half of knife hanging out of the air. But what do I know? So she gets stabbed five times during this and she manages to make it to Arthur Hillman's house, which was the across the street neighbor. Um, so her killer, whom Arnold and other witnesses later described as a round faced blonde wearing a yellow shirt and faded red sweatpants, sped away in the Pinto. Arnold followed her. They for... were going to a party in sweatpants. God, who knows? So, um, while she is bleeding out on the doorstep of Arthur Hillman's house, Arnold peels out of the driveway and follows the mustard yellow Pinto about a quarter of a mile before giving up the chase. And I'm like, you not did, very well. You did not literally the job. bare minimum. Like, yeah. he, He's like, I can't stop the girl fight. <laughs> Let me try to chase her. Oh, she got away. <laughs> He's patting himself on the back. Like you did your best. He's probably drunk, like, hmm, chairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, she turned right. I don't know how to keep up with that. He was tired from Quidditch. <laughs> That's it. Um, so, sorry, I want to write that down because it's a good episode title. All right. Um, so, meanwhile... Kirsten, like I said, is bleeding out on the front porch of this house. She's screaming because she can't even like reach the doorbell at this point. And so, um, uh, what was his name? Arthur Hillman. There's too many A names here. Um, cause her dad is Arthur and the guy in the car was Alexander Arnold and this guy's Arthur Hillman. So it's just lots of trouble for me. Diversify. Right. Jesus. So, um, Arthur and his family were like spending time in their house. It was a quiet evening. And then they just hear these blood curdling shrieks from outside. And um, so when he opens the door, he sees Kirsten. Um, She staggers toward him as best she can. And she screams, help me, help me. I've been stabbed. Um, So he rips open her blouse to try to stop the bleeding. But he sees the five wounds and blood is spurting out everywhere. Um, so he said, I asked what happened, who did it? Um, and so then, um, he, Tori Spelling gave a very compelling performance of her eyes rolling back into her head and passing out here. Basically that's what happened. Um, so she couldn't answer. Um, he tried to give her CPR and mouth to mouth resuscitation while his family called 911. Um, and so, basically, also sorry. During this part, he the guy rushes outside, and his like older son is just standing in the doorway. He's just standing there, just stand, like for like a whole minute. He stands there, and finally, the dad is like, "Hey, go call." <laughs> I mean, that seems like real life. If I'm being honest, <laughs> he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> so um. The paramedics come and um, 
she's pronounced dead within an hour. Um, oh. He had known her since basically since she was born. So this girl he'd known since she was an infant basically died in his arms. Like that's so rough. That is horrible. Um, so the cops come and they kind of start their investigation. Um, it was after 2 a.m. before Barrett could be even questioned by sheriff's deputies because they kind of launch into the investigation very quickly. Um, the head of the investigations, like the head of investigations for the sheriff's department literally says like, don't worry guys, we'll have this wrapped up by dawn. No. That's like walking into an emergency room and being like, it's so quiet in here. Right? So, um, her funeral's five days later and they still don't know who has done this. Um, but rumors spread from one pew to another that the killer is here at the funeral. Um, so worried parents start making all their children travel in pairs and trios, like buddy system it up for a while. Um, the community is all well and good unless the killer is another 15 year old girl. Right. The community begins collecting a reward fund, uh, of more than $50,000 to pay toward information. Okay. Yeah. Like basically a $50,000 reward for any information that leads to the arrest and, um, conviction of whoever did this. Um, that reminds me of a meme I saw last night where it's like a text. And this guy texts the lady and it's like, hey, I saw a black cat on this street. And she texts back and she's like, oh, um, thanks, but I actually found my cat, like, already. But So it must have been a different cat. And he's like, oh, but do I get the reward, though? And she's like, no, you, you didn't find my cat. <laughs> um, so... Bobby's and then other friends of Kirsten are posting signs with description of the crime and killer and like every storefront in Orinda, like, because it was a smallish town. It's a suburb. Like they're going in and asking like, can I put this flyer up in your window, mister? And they probably know him. It's like, Mr. Jones, can right. we put this flyer up about, uh, Kirsten? It's like, sure girls, go ahead. Um, so meanwhile, because they're mourning, I guess, the seniors take a trip to Hawaii. It's like, I guess it's their class trip, but I'm just like. I wanna, I, um, can I, I want to, I want to mourn in Hawaii. Right. So while they're I'm mourning something, while they're on this class trip, I am mourning something. But. Right. While they're on this class trip, um, rumors begin to circulate that the, um, Killer had been uh, a girl named Heather, which is not her name, but that's what it's been changed to for her protection within some of these articles. So, right. So Heather had once been this popular. Was... Oh, go ahead. Oh, is, it, is this golf girl? Yes. Okay, so okay. she had been this really popular, like preppy girl. Um, she went out with a soccer player. She'd been in those, um, She'd been part of the loud crowd. Um, she had fit in, but like recently she had changed a lot and she was then one of those people who stood out. She was invited yeah. to join the Bobbies, but she actually turned them down. 
Life it in when you were born to stand out. Right. So I think it's really funny that they made her like goth in the movie because she dyed her hair from light blonde to dark blonde. <gasps> right. And then she dressed in like punk style, but not even like the Ramones with like found, you know, ripped clothes. It was like expensive, perfectly quaffed punk style. Well, that's what you get in that area. Right. Um, so that would be like if I went punk because I'd be like, I'm not like actually going to tear my jeans. Right. I'm going to buy them already like that. Right. Um, so people stopped talking to her in the hallway. Um, she even said in an interview, no, in an essay, sorry. She said in an essay, quote, the whole town of Arendo seemed to want me to feel bad because I dyed my hair and I was not part of the social scene. This is what I was guilty of in reality. I was guilty of being myself, but I will not change. Um, in fact, there was a rumor that, um, one time in biology class, Heather had confronted Kirsten and said, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you. But there's nobody who can actually corroborate, corroborate that. It's all, well, Aaron told me that. Well, Paul told me that. Well, Steven said that the other day he was walking past Martha, who was sitting next to Daniel when Daniel got a text message that said the other day somebody had heard, like, that kind of bullshit. Megan's brother's friend Nathan told Justin's sister's best friend neighbor Kimberly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so three days after Kirsten was killed, investigators actually did question her. Um, oh, no, sorry. I misread my own notes. So three days after Kirsten was killed, investigators told Heather that her classmates were already accusing her of the murder, but she had an airtight alibi. She'd been, been at her boyfriend's house. His mother had been there. Um, like there are several people who can verify that alibi. Um, but then it became a scandal because Heather's mother refused to let her daughter submit to a lie detector test. And if you don't submit, then you must have did it. I mean, that does not roll off the tongue, like, if the glove doesn't fit. But, also, I would never let my kid take a lie detector. No, absolutely never. not. So, rumors, never. Of, rumors about this girl circulate. Um, they begin receiving calls in the middle of the night. Um, so, um... The sheriff's department releases like it's not her. She has an alibi and they announce that they're working through a long list of suspects. So one of the people right. on this list was Bernadette Prati. Um, she lived in Orinda. She fit the description of the suspect. But like I said, every girl in Orinda had blonde hair and right. was 15. Like everyone had a kid the same year basically is what it mm -hmm. sounds like. Right. Um, she was a new member of the Bobbies, and her father owned a mustard-colored pinto. What a coinky dink! At least in the movie, it was like a gray Chevy Nova, so right? Like it blends in. Yeah. So yeah, um, it is lit outside right now. I know. Literally. I saw. <laughs> so um, Bernadette had also spent 
the spring practicing her cheers, but she was not chosen for the Miramont squad. She was one of the losers who did not get a kiss and a rose at the selection ceremony. And and so this represented to her that she was an unpopular failure. Um, one of her friends actually oh said on the record, a new hobby, right? One of her friends, in fact, said, quote, she had this obsession of, about being accepted, even though she was already accepted. I've seen her when she would do drugs just to try to be someone's friend. She was constantly changing. She was popular in her own way. I mean, but also let me tell you how many times I've asked a friend that I've met. Oh my God, were you a cheerleader? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. Big old goose egg. Never. You, never comes up in conversation. You ever. asked me that when I told you that I could do a quality herky. I have never seen you do a quality herky. Well, I told you I could do it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you fabricated this conversation, Benadryl brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Bernadette um had uh, sorry what? i lost my point did i lose you oh i'm sorry my music just like popped up oh gotcha for no apparent reason it's fine everything's so, good um, the computer's not haunted there was another sorority like group in the school um called alianthus that her best friend had been invited to join but she had not so that Sounds was like a literary society right um so that was part of like her feeling like she was a failure. Not that the Bobbies were bad, but they weren't her first choice school. Um, for her joining, I mean, group for her joining the Bobbies was second best. She didn't make yearbook staff. She just took one middle school blow after another. Um, sure. She um, told the the friend who went on record who went by the name Kathy, but that was a changed name also. She said, quote, I have an inferiority complex. I'm ugly. No guys like me. I'm so deformed. Look at my body, my hair, my clothes are so blah. Which is such a high school breakdown. Like, mm-hmm. um, she was the youngest of six children in a very religious family. Um, and she complained that her parents were old school and that they never listened to her. You just don't understand me, dad. Um, well, so, um, she was embarrassed by her house. The paint was peeling off the outside. She was, like I said, the youngest of six. Everything she had was basically hand-me-downs. Um, the furniture in their house was older than most of the homes in Orinda. Um, and she, um, dreamed of like expensive looking modern houses with quote Laura Ashley walls and Vogue furniture. First of all, gross. (laughs) Second of all, this, this right here is why high school is not, are not the best years of your life. Because nobody cares about that stuff. When you grow up, nobody cares. Right. Where your couch came from. Nobody. Nobody cares. 
So um, investigators interviewed Bernadette very early on, um, and she had an alibi. She'd been babysitting for the Weems family down the road. They didn't bother to follow up on this alibi because she did take a lie detector, detector test, and she passed. So she was cleared as a suspect pretty immediately. But as time goes on without an arrest, accusations increase against poor Heather. Um, It was said that her boyfriend had access to a gold-colored pinto, which he did not. Um, And it was rumored that Heather's family were going to move to England to avoid prosecution. And... Like, but this is like high school bullshit. uh Uh-huh. Oh, wait. Because then, since she dyed her hair dark blonde she had to be part of a satanic cult i mean it's right about that time for satanic panic but yeah wow um so she winds up transferring to another school but accusations and speculations are still thrown around no arrests are made um the so um the costas's hire a private detective with a portion of the reward money that the town raised. And, um, this Elliot Friedman, the private eye suspects that, um, it had been a drug induced killing or that the killer had harbored a, sorry, the killer had harbored some kind of lesbian desire for Kirsten. Um, Oh my right. God. Right. So this is like what he's breaking down. Um, it, it says, quote, in Orinda, a girl with homosexual tendencies could have a big brand on her forehead, he said. The motive he suspected was fear of humiliation. So um, Friedman goes through the alibis of the most likely suspects and Bernadette's on this list. Um, she The claimed- most likely lesbians? Yep. Yeah. Okay. He just lines them up and he's like, Hey, um, you ever played softball? Yep. Lesbian. Like, Oh my God. So, um, he, like I said, things were fucked up in the eighties. Yes. So he's going through all of the, um, alibis of these people. And, um, she, you know, like I said, she had said that she was babysitting the night for the Weems, for the Weems family. So he just, yep. So quit it. It was Quidditch night. It's Quidditch. So um, the mom, Johanna Weems, said that she'd not asked Bernadette to babysit in over a year. So Friedman told detectives that Bernadette had been lying, and um, they were like, "Well, she couldn't have been. She passed the polygraph test." It was the eighties, right? Um. So then, um. Friedman basically convinces them to have it checked a second time by the FBI this time. And when it comes back, like she had not passed that lie detector test. They just didn't know what the bumps and squiggles meant. (laughs) So on December 11th, Bernadette is called back in for an interview with uh, this time an FBI agent assisting the case. Um, She stuck to her story, but when Hilly described the, um, Ron Hilly was the, the FBI agent. So when Hilly mm-hmm. describes the psychological profile of the suspect in the case, which showed among other things that the killer would have little remorse for her crime. Bernadette said, it sounds like me. 
So she um, she asked Tilly if he'd ever considered that a 16-year-old girl might be more afraid of publicity than of going to prison. And Bernadette then said she wanted to go home and think, and Tilly agreed, um, because they didn't have a confession. They couldn't hold her on anything. Um, I literally just saw a spider, but I can't find it now. Oh, I love spiders. Okay. So that night, Bernadette tells her mother that they need to talk. But Elaine Prady says that she's tired. So the next morning, Bernadette gives her a letter and asks her to not open it for a half hour. Mm-hmm. This is Lifetime Sentence ASMR edition featuring Sorry. Aaron's crackling CVS receipt. It's seven and a half feet long and is used to kill a spider. I can't find it now. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> So she gives Bernadette, I mean, Bernadette gives her mom this letter and says, don't open it for half an hour. So Elaine, who was reading her Bible at the time, sets her kitchen timer and goes back to reading. And when the 30 minutes is up, she opens the letter and it says, quote, I can't bring her back, but I'm sorry. I've been able to live with myself for a while, but I can't ignore it. I'm even worse than words can describe and I hate myself. And then in the PS, she wrote, quote, please don't say how could you or why, because I don't understand this and I don't know why. I need so much help and love. I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. So Elaine calls the school and her and her husband bring their daughter back to the sheriff's office. um, And Bernadette gives a 90 minute confession, which is taped by the uh, sheriff's office. Um, Okay. And so news flies through the town and immediately everyone is like, we forgive you, Heather, because you didn't do it. So we have to forgive you and not the other way around. Yeah. Um, so, um, the very distracted now. I'm sorry. (laughs) On December 11th, Nearly every girl attending Miramont, even those who had the flu because they were dealing with a big flu outbreak, showed up for school. So because none of them wanted to be absent, to be confused with the person who'd been arrested. So it was like the highest attendance they'd had at school. And some of them wanted to see who had been arrested. And some of them just wanted to clear their own names by showing up. Oh, my God. I found it. Hold on. Okay. R.I.P. So, spider. Oh, no. So the um, the day after the arrest, the sheriff calls for a press conference. It's one of the best attended press conferences in the town's history. Um, I can't imagine they had much going on other than this, like, to talk about in previous <laughs> press conferences. But um, he said that his team had put in over 4,000 man hours. They followed 1,000 leads. They interviewed 800 people. And they checked out 750 Pintos. Um, I, it's a shame that that many pentos were even made. Right. So three months later, um, all of Orinda packs into a courtroom because people love a show, I guess. Um, Nothing else to do that day. Right. So at the start of the proceedings, Bernadette sits facing forward, her mouth slack and her eyes unfocused. But when Barrett Costas walks away from the witness stand, Um, She slows down as she passes by Bernadette and um, Bernadette turns away and never looks straight ahead again. So um, when they play the confession, 
the only noise in the courtroom was the tape. Like you could hear a pin drop. Oh my um, gosh. And so, um, let's see. When Bernadette asks, is asked what Kirsten had done to make her angry. She says, quote, I have a lot of inferiority feelings and I really have bad feelings about myself. I lost for cheerleader. I didn't get into the club I wanted to. I didn't get on yearbook. So I don't know. I just felt bad. Um, she said that Kirsten, quote, just sort of put me down. I remembered one time on the ski trip we were on together. I mean, we don't have a lot of money and we can't afford a lot of nice ski stuff. And I just had this really crummy pair of skis and some boots. And, you know, I was having fun anyway. Kirsten made some comment about them and it just seemed like everyone else was thinking that, but she was the only one who would come out and say it. Okay. So either I miss this because of spider gate or was the story the same? Like she invited her, she was trying to take her to a party. You well, no, and she they was, got into an argument. She wasn't trying to take her to a party. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I have to recheck my notes. It's I'm like falling asleep right now. I'm pushing through. I know we're I'm uh, so sorry. It's okay. I'm just, conf- we're almost think, finished. So yes. So she picks her over. up. Well, I didn't say it because none of this comes out until she's confessing in the courtroom. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, she says that she made the phone call to set up the meeting with Kirsten. She just wanted to befriend her and take her to a party and when Kirsten approaches the Pinto, she looks inside and goes, oh, it's you. So um, Bernadette said that Kirsten wanted to smoke pot first, um, which made so many people clutch their pearls. And yeah. then... Um, Bar- but like, it's San Francisco. Like, come on. Right. Well, so what Barrett, the mom says, is that she made it sound like this was some kind of drug-related murder. Like, she lit up a a joint, so I had to kill her, which was not the case. It's like she was grasping at anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um... So, Kirsten runs from the car, and Bernadette... And so, she says after she realized it was her, and she smoked the joint, and there wasn't a party to or there wasn't a thing with the uh, Bobbies and um, Kirsten didn't want to go to a party with Bernadette. She bails from the Pinto and Bernadette pursues her. She claims that she only followed to make sure that Kirsten got home safely. But as she drove, mm-hmm. she became frightened about how Kirsten might de- might describe the evening to the other girls at school. So by the time Kirsten left Alexander's Ar- uh, Alexander Arnold's car at the neighbor's house, Bernadette's fear had turned to anger. She said she used a knife she found in the Pinto to stab Kirsten to death. So Bernadette's sister Virginia was a uh, worked at a bank, and she mm-hmm. was on the witness stand, and she said that she kept this foot and a half long knife in the car to slice tomatoes at lunchtime. And I just want to know how big those fucking tomatoes are that you need a machete. I know. Like, That's wild. Like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me saw this tomato in right? half. Um, 
So after killing Kirsten, Bernadette went home. She hides a knife. She takes a walk with her mother and their dog. Um, she washes the knife and returns it to the kitchen. She throws away her t-shirt and sweatpants in the, um, dumpster at the swim club. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, and all this is revealed on the, sorry, on the 90 minute confession tape. And, um, so one reporter, uh, said that, um, Several of the people at the trial were moved to tears. Uh, one, repo- one reporter wrote that at the end of the tape, uh, Barrett Costas's head was bowed. Um, but he was like, um, basically made it seem like she was praying or like it was anything. But Barrett was like, no, I was about to barf. So, um, she says, Barrett says uh, on record, quote, um, the murder of her, do- sorry, the mother, the murder of her daughter was quote premeditated from the moment of the phone call. Bernadette had plenty of time to change her mind. The Costas's charge that Bernadette's confession is full of lies, that no one would use an 18 inch knife to cut a tomato and that, um, Bernadette was very casually dressed. You know, she's in the sweatpants and the like rowdy t-shirt and that that tells you she was never actually planning on taking Kirsten to a party. And you yeah. pointed that out several hours ago. Mm-hmm. It feels like what is yes, today? <laughs> so, um, the trial it's goes on for th- Wednesday, right? The trial goes on for three days at the end of which she is found guilty of second degree murder. Um, even though Kirsten's parents really wanted first degree. And I honestly Mm -hmm. don't know how they settled in second degree. I looked, the only thing I can imagine is that they just couldn't come up with evidence for intent to kill. Yeah. I think the difference was between like premeditate, like true premeditation and like a crime of passion. Right. Because the, like the knife could have just been there. Um, and she saw it as an opportunity, like, mm-hmm. so I can see how they got there. So, um, on April 1st, Bernadette Prati is sentenced. She was committed to the California Youth Authority. She can serve no less than one year and no more than nine until she reaches the age of 25. Um, so she's convicted, um, or sorry, convicted juveniles serve an average of four to six years for this. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, Oh, I forgot to write down actually how long she spent. Um, but you had it in your notes. How long did she spend? Hold on. I'm pulling it back up. Okay. Seven. That's what I thought. Um, so she winds up spending seven years in jail. Um, and, what this actually does is start to make people really look at and evaluate their social circles in Miramont and see just how bad the click attitude or like the, the click mm-hmm. idea had gotten out of hand. Um, and then um, it kind of gave them kind of a mean girls ending where they um, put an end to the plastics once and for all, but really it just made oh, them sure. stop and evaluate like, how things worked at the school and how things right maybe secret societies weren't a thing we should have for 15 year olds yeah probably not 
And that is The Martyr of Kirsten Costas. Wow. That was really interesting. Yeah. And the movie was really close this time. Yeah. I mean, this is an old one, so they they stuck more to the story. Right. Back then, and then they kind of veered off, and now they're coming back the other way. Which, right. speaking of, next week we're going to cover the movie that premiered tonight. I have not watched it yet. Okay. Um, it's called I Was Lorena Bobbitt. I cannot wait. Um, that story is fascinating. So fascinating, especially if you watch the Prime documentary. Okay. But they did so good. Like, you know, everybody, I feel like it's the story we all grew up talking about, but nobody really knew. I didn't really know, like, everything that was behind it until much later. Before memes were memes, it was a meme. Like, it was in the zeitgeist. and, And people mentioned it all the time without knowing anything about it. Yeah, and we'll talk about Garbage Howard Stern. Yay. Yay. So, yeah, that'll be next week. I'm very excited. Um, She did the movie, so hopefully it'll be pretty close. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I have a lifetime case of the week. Ooh, yay. Tell me. You actually brought it to my attention, and I know that you said that Shelby had dropped it first, but I didn't follow that case. Like, I didn't notice it when she dropped it the first time. Um, The woman who sued all the gays. Oh my Every God. gay, because I did research and, um, she represented herself in court, which, you know, is my favorite thing. And, um, they had to drop the case because they couldn't depose all the gays, all the gays. <laughs> what a shame. So I just want this, like, I want it to be two hours and I want it to just be like, the two hours leading up to the trial where we see her getting dressed and like curling her hair and like lipstick while she's just bitching about quote, all the gays and then go to the trial just to have it dismissed. I just want to see like what led her to sue all of the gays. Right. What did they all do to you? Right. Also next week, I think it will be Pride Month. Yeah. Yeah. I was Yay. thinking about that today, in fact. Yeah. I'm excited. I am too. I love Pride Month. It's fun times. And I'm kind of like, so even though quarantine has totally ruined everything, uh-huh. um, it's kind of exciting because I'm assuming that like lot, well, I know San Antonio is. I'm assuming lots of other people are going to do like virtual pride events. So it'll be fun to kind of get to hop around the United States and visit different pride events. Right. No joke. All online. Yeah. It's going to be fun. So. All right. Well, I can't. Happy pre-pride. You go pass out. Yes. I can't like not drill on my microphone. So can you tell folks where to find us? Oh, yes. You can find us on the Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Um, you can find our website with episode notes and, and all that good stuff at LifetimeSentence.com. And join our Patreon, uh, Patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. We're doing some fun stuff over there. We are. And did uh, I miss it? No. Like I did. Oh. Oh, email us lifetime sentence podcast at gmail.com. All right. You nailed it. 
Yay. All right. Well, um, I need you all to promise me that you will not forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.